right, welcome to episode 32 of Seize the Moment Podcast. Today we have for the third time, the great, the powerful, Liz Dorval. Welcome. Hello, good morning. Hey, welcome back, Liz. Thank you. And today we're going to talk about perfectionism. And I guess I want to open with a question. Uh, have you ever, have you guys ever felt like you need conditions to be perfect before you decide to take action on something? It's mm, a good question. Liz, you want to take it away? Conditions in order to be perfect with something? Yeah, like... Yes. Yeah, like, for example, like, I need to... I need to look this way. I need to know this much. I need to have done this before I can do that. I know I'm being general. No, I love that but, question. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 110%. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, uh, what about you, Leon? You ever have... Things like that? Yeah, so for me, it's more, um, I guess this more pertains to the romantic realm. So like, um, for, for just kind of for our audience, so a little bit about social anxiety disorder, which I've struggled with for the vast majority of my life. So a lot of times when people have social anxiety, they think that like, um, and it's connected, there's a high correlation between social anxiety disorder and perfectionism. So for people who struggle with social anxiety disorder, a lot of times they think that they have to be perfect before they actually kind of go out and maintain or kind of actually develop any sort of friendship or romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. So for me, the idea was like, okay, I'm not good enough to date now. <laughs> so then like, you know, once I become smart enough, once I become sort of muscular enough or like toned enough, then I'm going to sort of go out there and try to start dating someone because before then I'm not good enough. That's crazy that you say that. I think a lot of people could relate to that. Mm-hmm. Not even just saying that or paying lip service. Like I've definitely felt that way. I was like, oh, until I lose this much weight, mm-hmm. uh, then I'll feel even more comfortable with myself. I mean, I, you, by the way, this is even knowing some of the things we already know in psychology. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're already certain, if, if you're uh, confident, usually people buy into that. Mm-hmm. And you don't necess- necessarily have to have certain conditions like that met. Mm-hmm. But even then, I can still relate to you. I've definitely had stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so interesting for me? It wasn't even that. So it wasn't so much of I'll be more comfortable, but it was black and white. It's I will be comfortable. It went from literally I'm so uncomfortable now because I don't have like any of these things in my mind. But then once I become perfect, right, once I reach this sort of plateau or whatever, this pinnacle, then I'll be able to do all of these things I want. And then people will accept me. And then sort of I'll have sort of love and romance or whatever in my life. Before then, right, it's not possible because I don't have any of these things. So it's like a kind of seesaw. It's either you have them or you don't have them. Mm-hmm. You have to check off all of the boxes before you're even capable to start. Yep. yep. Period, yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely understand that. Liz, any examples come up for you? Uh, it was definitely a lot in school mm-hmm. where I had to be in all of these extracurricular organizations and I had to get these best grades because if I didn't, then I felt... Uh, that I was valued a lot less. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was academic. And when I further, you know, went through school and then I came out into the real world, um, I felt kind of embarrassed to be in some situations because I felt like I wasn't fit enough. I felt like I didn't have, like, the perfect job and I made the perfect amount of money. And it really kind of... uh, uh, wills away at my confidence. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
And that's 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 the the downside of perfectionism, at least like from the toxic side of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, if, if let's we didn't define it yet, right? Like, yeah, let's. I guess we should define. Let's perfectionism. do that. So, guys, if you ever get a chance, look into this really great article from Vox. It is written by Christy. I'm going to butcher her last name. Let me see. Yeah, it's Christy uh, Ashwanden. Christy Ashwanden. <laughs> so the article is titled "Perfectionism is Killing Us," and so in the article of defining perfectionism, she wrote. Perfectionism is a broad personality style characterized by a hypercritical relationship with oneself. So in terms of, so she mentioned an author, I'm not sure what his first name is, but the last name is Hewitt. He wrote a book titled Relational Approach to Conceptualization, Assessment and Treatment, a lot of clinical stuff. So he wrote setting high standards, <laughs> setting high standards and aiming for excellence can be positive traits, but perfectionism is dysfunctional because it's underscored by a person's sense of themselves as permanently flawed or defective. One way they try to correct that is by being perfect. So in terms of pretty much psychology and kind of clinical work, what he's trying to say here is that and when it comes to perfectionism, it's essentially what's called a coping mechanism. So somewhere kind of in our youth, we decide, or not really decide, it's a bad way of saying it. We learn that our environment is either dysfunctional, that it's um, obviously and or abusive or neglectful, that we're not pretty much getting our needs met. And we, we know kind of innately that we have these internal needs and we obviously need to be met by others, especially our parents. So for kids, especially at a very young age, right, somewhere kind of in their childhood, they develop perfectionism as a coping mechanism for that, where they develop the belief that if I am perfect, uh, mom will love me. If I'm perfect, right, dad will stop beating me, will stop hitting me. If I'm perfect, right, I might even be accepted by my peers, right, social anxiety mm -hmm. disorder. So when it comes to perfectionism, what it is, it's, it's a coping mechanism somewhere. And it, by the way, and when uh, I don't want to sort of jump around here, no, but, but when it comes to kind of coping mechanisms, and especially in this case, perfectionism, at one point or another, perfectionism was actually a very good coping mechanism in one's life so a lot of times people think that it's like there's so much nuance here so sometimes people think that when it comes to sort of toxic coping mechanisms that they're toxic all across the board so like what Alan was saying earlier was that when it comes to perfectionism, right, being perfect all the time is toxic as opposed to sort of healthy perfectionism when you just strive to be, you know, the best you can be. Mm -hmm. Or you even strive to be the best every once in a while, understand, or even all the time, but understanding that you can't be the best all the time. So when it comes to those kind of coping mechanisms, that even if let's say some of them are toxic that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always toxic so when a kid is in a really sort of chaotic environment and this kind of goes back to eric Fromm and his sort of understanding of psychology and that sometimes mental disorders are actually sane you know reactions to insane scenarios so perfectionism in a way can be sort of viewed as a normal reaction to a really toxic and chaotic environment so let's say if a kid is brought up in a really toxic environment where kind of mom or dad doesn't really accept them ever or even some of the time where their love is conditional where it's sort of based on success where it's based on achievement where it's even based on beauty something that you really can't even control so for them perfectionism is a really great coping mechanism in the sense that it kind of gets them the thing that they want right the mm -hmm. thing that they need so for a kid who struggles with perfectionism it's because that in that environment that situation or rather that style that coping mechanism it makes a lot of sense because at some point or another it was reinforced so let's say if like let's say you're brought up with what's called conditional conditional regard right conditional love so you know dad or mom or both tell you that no your love is pretty much is dependent right if they give you the implicit message that you the only way to, for you to, for you to be loved is if you achieve if you sort of do these particular things that make you lovable 
So in that case, the kid thinks of it as like, oh my God, I have to always do these things. Like that's what makes me lovable. So sometimes what happens is when he bring, or he or she brings home a really great grade, it's like, oh, mom is like, I love you. You're like amazing. You're the best son ever. Look at how smart and like phenomenal and sort of curious and intelligent you are. And therefore the kid learns like, oh shit, like, no, I need to be this all the time. The only way for mom or dad to love me is if I maintain this standard all the time mm -hmm. so in that particular context perfectionism makes a ton of sense even though in sort of other contexts it's definitely toxic and you know kind of leads to different symptoms which we'll definitely talk about later but the point is that in that kind of environment and by the way this is not only parental because sometimes and um uh, guys, stop me, please, if I'm rambling too much. So if, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if, uh, okay, Liz is not in your head. Okay, I gotcha. So in terms of, uh, so it's not only parental in the sense that, um, what's it called? So sometimes with kids, they're sort of the environment around them, the social context, even if their parents are really like, you know, really good parents, that what happens is sometimes that the kind of kids around them either bully them or sort of exclude them, etc. And they learn in the social environment that they have to be perfect. So it's very complex, right? That's it. No, 100%. Uh, for and also, in, um, mm -hmm. in when you get older, and let's say you fall into a toxic, codependent relationship, mm -hmm. and it's abusive, and you feel like you have to reach a certain point to get peace and happiness with your partner, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of, maybe, criticism involved. Mm -hmm. Oh, like meeting a certain standard? And then if yes. you don't meet that standard, it's like, it gets really toxic? That's correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, been there. Yep, for sure. Right. Yeah. Would you be okay to talk about it? Uh, yeah. Um. Hmm. Okay. Uh, which call it? No, it's really hard to remember actually, because uh, uh, it's hard to set an example. I've definitely had that before, mm -hmm. where for example, like if you don't say the right thing, mm -hmm. it's gonna get really bad. But you kind of maintain this like comfort zone of where you're still in that codependent thing. Mm -hmm. And anytime you, that, the times it get really, it gets really toxic is when like these expectations are not being met. Mm -hmm. I guess, let's say it's uh, as an example, this isn't mine exactly, but let's say it's something like having to do with jealousy. Mm -hmm. Let's say the, uh, the guy and uh, let's say it's a man, the woman and the man is uh, someone who's uh, very jealous. So anytime, uh, the girl is not always validating him. Mm -hmm. uh, he thinks that sh her mind is elsewhere. So right. he needs to constantly be validated. Mm -hmm. Anytime he's not validated, he's going to think she's uh, cheating or, or something. Or stop like loving him. Or stop loving him mm -hmm. or something like that. That one was very general. Mm -hmm. um, I'll try to see if I can remember something later. Mm -hmm. But uh, for example, to go back to what you were saying before, mm -hmm. when let's say the child who's you know performing let's say in school mm -hmm. and doesn't get the good grade yeah. that 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 expectation of themselves to be able to meet the standard that is set out for them either by society their parents or themselves right. uh, they end up spiraling kind of they start to feel really bad if they don't meet that standard mm -hmm. and that can hinder their success and then then the next action that they would take could even be uh, affected by that initial reaction mm -hmm. and then it just kind of becomes all sort of interconnected mm -hmm. and can have um, consequence like uh, cascading consequences along the way mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example um, sort of related so for me back in the day um, I had started this page ego ends now mm -hmm. Leon's familiar with it mm -hmm. 
and I was thinking, um, you know, when I first made it, it was great. You're sharing memes, you're sharing inspirational things, you're trying to write out paragraphs, certain things you want to share with people. Then there's a certain point where you have to do kind of what we're doing now, mm -hmm. where you have to create maybe, like if you really want to impact people, some kind of video content or your own content. I didn't feel like, I, I kept thinking, before I can make any video content, I have to become more qualified. Mm -hmm. And how do I become more qualified? I have to acquire more knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then every time I would acquire more knowledge, I would think, oh, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Mm -hmm. But then I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So that was, that's another factor in there that's concerning why I didn't. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would think, I keep thinking, like, I need to have, meet these certain standards. I need to look this way. I need to behave that way. I need to speak in this sort of way in order to be compelling enough mm -hmm. for, you know, to do what it is that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But then every time I thought like that, that kept me from taking any action at all. And the thing is, you have to, you have to, even if you have that trait in you, that perfectionism, I realized this from my own personal experience. This might sound very cliche or obvious to the audience, maybe, or to you guys too. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, uh, I, you, you have to try something and fail at it or try something and make mistakes mm -hmm. and not be perfect. Yep. in order to gain experience so that this way you can become better at that thing. Yep. A lot of the, like for example in my case, with the theorizing and thinking I need to have more knowledge and this and that, mm -hmm. that's fantastic from a theory perspective. Yeah, I have all this knowledge, mm -hmm. but if I'm not applying it or trying to use it, uh, it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. and also, any knowledge that I acquired that I wasn't then putting into practice, I'd forget anyway. Right. So it became useless, mm -hmm. essentially. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Liz, does perfectionism ever affect you professionally? Yes. Uh, when I was, I was thinking when Alan was speaking about what he's describing is closely related to imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I struggle with that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I was promoted earlier this year to a position that I felt like I really didn't know much about to succeed. And for a while, I was very uncomfortable because I felt like I didn't belong there and other people thought that I didn't belong there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the way I kind of got over that was thinking they thought I was capable. That's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I just have to be stubborn and just try to write it out as best as I can. Yeah. And, you know, now like six months later, mm -hmm. I've definitely gotten more comfortable. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was going to ask in terms of feeling like an imposter in that position, do you feel like that was based on prior evidence or was it sort of based on the way you thought of yourself? Hmm. You know, that's a really tough question. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is self-imposed, mm -hmm. I have to say. Um, I remember when that position opened up, uh, I did decide to just kind of dive in and go to my boss's office and ask for it and pitch my case about yes. how I'm not, uh, like other people might be more experienced if you hire outside, but I think that I'm clever enough to quickly get it. Mm -hmm. And thankfully she agreed. But then when I got into the position, we actually uh, hired this like a uh, efficiency expert to come in mm -hmm. and she had to interview all of us. And 
she mentioned to my supervisor, uh, you know, like Liz might be too green for this position. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of like stung like right here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, like what if, you know, my boss is just like, oh yeah, maybe this efficiency expert's right. Like maybe I'm not in the, in, in like this position, mm-hmm. but then I was like, no, I'll be fine. Like, yeah, I'm green, mm-hmm. but I just got to just really just keep trying my best. Don't get the yips. Mm-hmm. And like, so yeah, it was a little from column A, a little from column B, but the only, the only way I was going to get experience was just by trying it. Mm-hmm. And what helped you become more comfortable? Time. Mm-hmm. It was just time. Yeah. I'm assuming you've gotten pretty good feedback so far. I have, and I was actually approached earlier this week to lead a new project. Mm-hmm something I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. And when I was approached by my boss, I felt like, oh, wow, like, I think I'm okay now. I think I'm feeling a little bit better about this now. Mm-hmm. So That's so awesome. You became desensitized to it. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, like, in, in, that, in that situation, when you're dealing with imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. There's nothing really too complex that you need to look for in order for it to dissipate. Mm-hmm. It's just practice and time, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting is imagine a scenario where because of that imposter syndrome or uh, perfectionism, say you didn't uh, even approach your boss in the first place for that management position, that there could be a, a scenario where that would occur for another person, let's say. So the fact that you decide to do it anyway, even though it's scary, even though it, it seems like, well, I don't want to make it so dramatic, like the odds are insurmountable. <laughs> Liz was Sisyphus. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Liz, that's amazing. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it's it's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to feel uncomfortable when you're when you're doing something that's very new. Yeah. So, uh, and we've talked about that before, but essentially the, the idea is you, you have to act anyway. Mm-hmm. You have to just try yep. and being stopped by these, like I was stopped for years. If, 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 if anyone has a, ca- a cautionary tale, because mm-hmm. imagine how much work you could get done if you were really diligent mm-hmm. for three years mm-hmm. and you're really dedicated. Mm-hmm. So imagine you lost three years of time. Yeah. I don't even think it was three. I think it was more. <laughs> so like let that be present. a cautionary. So right now we're do, we're doing what we're doing, yeah. and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I mean, just just for the record, you know, if it wasn't for you, this podcast would not have happened. Well, we made it both happen. We made it both happen. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. It is okay. You're right. Mm-hmm. But the initial thing. Yeah. It. Okay. Fine. So fine. It's us. But I'll say this. I'll say this. That um, having someone who's being in a team also actually really helps you to kind of execute on things. Yeah. Because it kind of holds you accountable. Mm-hmm. And there's more of a like an anchor to you wanting to like take the action mm-hmm. as opposed to when you place the anchor on yourself. Yeah. So this is not like a one size fits all answer. Mm-hmm. But if anyone is struggling to do something, let's say they have some kind of idea they're trying to execute on, mm-hmm. uh, or a business, yep. you can't do it alone anyway. Yeah, and by the way, the worst podcast... Possibly, was... potentially. 
No, I mean, you can. It would just be much harder, and I think the quality would be reduced. I just wanted to say, uh, just in case, no, in case there is a case where somebody did it by themselves. I think there are, probably. But most of the time, you can't do a lot of things like that on yeah. your own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, the worst podcasts, at least in my opinions, are the ones where there's, like, one white dude, and he's just shouting into a microphone. Like, the Ben Shapiro shit. I don't know if you guys have ever seen his show. Oh my god, it's so awful, man. I'm like, how does anybody actually... Like him, Alex Jones, like all of these different people, right? Who pretty much just like sit in front of a microphone and just go on these rants. So I don't know if you guys... I respect the ability to do that. Because I don't know how you maintain yeah. a strict... Because here's the thing, you're not... Unless the person behind the camera is mm -hmm. who you think you're talking to. And mm -hmm. that's the trick. Mm -hmm. And that's how you're talking to the whole audience. Yeah. I don't know how you are setting up a whole... Uh, rant monologue with that level of content like oh i, I can answer that he, they're narcissistic they just <laughs> think people should sit there and listen to them talk because they're so brilliant it's, definitely it's just like a skill. really long stream of consciousness <laughs> yeah I mean, pretty much so i mean like if you're writing a book i get it you know that's a little bit different but i think if you're just ranting into a microphone for two hours there's something wrong this is my opinion. I'm just saying, you're talking about our future guests, Alex Jones and Ben Shapiro <laughs> right now. And I'm trying to be really respectful. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever watched the Alex Jones show, but he cuts off all of his guests. It's, like, really hard to listen to. So, like, they'll talk, and then, like, midway through, he'll just, like, rant and just cut them off. It's awful. I'm not bragging. But... Yeah. <laughs> I did really enjoy his expose on Bohemian Grove. Yeah, that was excellent, though. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> give it to him on that one. That was pretty amazing. But what did we, like, really learn, though? I mean, it sounded like, for the have you ever seen it? Secrets of Bohemian Grove? No. Oh, my God. I've really mainly seen him on uh, Rogan's podcast. Mm -hmm. And then just briefly, while just seeing what he's about on YouTube, I've scrolled yeah. around. And I've seen him go on uh, those uh, rants or monologues. Yeah. <laughs> and with, like, really good... I'll say this, as far as being compelling and mm -hmm. having... Um, like high energy mm -hmm. he's really good at that mm -hmm. just based on that i'm not talking about his content no, what he's saying, but just that is good yeah he's just a force for evil that's all hey man, <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> all right so just to kind of um shift gears a bit so i also wanted to define another portion of perfectionism for our audience again going back to the article so the author writes perfectionism comes in three common flavors self-oriented where someone demands perfection from themselves other-oriented, where they demand perfection from others around them, like spouses, co-workers, or friends, and socially prescribed perfectionism, where the person feels external pressure from the larger world and society to be perfect. So I wanted to ask you guys, which forms of perfectionism do you feel like are most common or most, I guess, prevalent in your lives? Liz, you first. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to go with self-oriented now mm -hmm. in the past it was definitely socially prescribed mm -hmm. but definitely so self-oriented mm. and what do you feel like some of your standards or expectations for yourself are well i used to try to write out this really detailed to-do schedule list that i would try to hit every day mm -hmm. and it would involve like um you know i would get up at 5 30 in the morning and I would exercise and then I would do language learning and, you know, eat a healthy breakfast and prepare all my meals and drink like two cups of water. And then I would go to work and I would have to be like perfect and on the ball and like have all of the good ideas in the meeting. And, you know, toward the end of the day when I would tick off everything, I'm just like, oh, wow, like I didn't hit all of these bullet points. I'm lazy. Wow. Yeah. Very black and white. 
Surprise, surprise, the gym yeah. is coming into this again. Oh, yes. you go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. It's a common theme on the show. No, so the thing is, um, when I would first be going to the gym, mm-hmm. uh, I if I didn't go that day, mm-hmm. or if I didn't, if I told myself I'm going to eat properly today, mm-hmm. besides, say I even got the whole gym thing down, mm-hmm. if I didn't eat properly that day, mm-hmm. I would then think like, wow, you really, well, I didn't get so, I didn't really verbalize this in my head, but mm-hmm. the idea is, I say, wow, you have like no self-control, mm-hmm. you know? Black and then and white. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I would like uh, really kind of, it's not that I would beat myself up, but I wouldn't feel good. And it's like, a, it was, felt like when I objectively thought of it, it was a stupid reason not to feel good, mm-hmm. because then that not feeling good spiraled mm-hmm. and then affected my next action. And then also the people I'd interact with. It's yeah. kind of lowered my state, if you will. Your vibe. My vibe, mm-hmm. let's say. right? Your flow. Yes. My flow. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah if I came to somebody. Throw back to episode one. Holla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if I, if I did that, it would affect how I'm talking to people, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, I didn't want to do that. I'm just trying to, like, accomplish some goal. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, making me go down mm-hmm. every time I'm not reaching like a certain standard then of course i then thought about it a different way where i thought okay like uh did i go to the gym today Mm -hmm. did i do this today do that it's like it's like these little wins that i would then start counting even if there's like one thing i didn't particularly do Mm -hmm. and i kind of just try to weigh it and be like okay well you didn't do this but you did this right or maybe like okay you didn't do it today but maybe you'll do it tomorrow mm-hmm. and try to do it tomorrow, but don't beat yourself up because any more thinking about it is useless. It's going to affect your next action and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And it, it also I'm monopolizing my mental resources on that instead of like something useful. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of little things like that. So it's like as meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. So also there's that. And then back to the example about the whole, uh, so I had a, the thing with the social implications as far as uh, yeah. perfectionism goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like for s- society wouldn't accept me doing any kind of videos unless I sounded like, mm-hmm. um, if, unless there was a certain level of articulation right. or uh, something compelling about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but then if I didn't practice, there's no way to build up that skill. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so for me, it's pretty much the self-oriented one where, um, so again, kind of going back to black and white thinking. Uh, so interestingly enough, I don't know how much you guys know about Oliver Sacks, the neurologist who died, I think it was like two, three years ago. I know the name. Yeah. So he like, oh, so, oh my God, such an interesting dude. So, um, for him, like he was like, he was a really good looking guy when he was younger. Obviously it was, you know, with age. Yeah, whatever. So the point is that he was like a really good looking guy and he was really smart and he was like obsessed with working out in the gym. And so one of his things was that I guess one of his like major points about sort of working out and bodybuilding and he was actually a really good bodybuilder. Like he was in great shape. And he's like, you know, it actually never made me feel good about myself. He's like, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much muscle I build, it actually did nothing for my self-esteem. So I'm assuming the idea with him was that he kept going thinking that it was going to make him feel like good about himself, maybe even feel perfect. And so that kind of reminded me, and just before I go into sort of my life, that reminded me, remember guys, I told you that John Candy quote, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. So when it came to my life and it came to sort of working out and going to the gym, 
since you mentioned it, I'm like, whatever, now I'm going to talk about it too. So when it comes to the gym, I felt like, I don't know if I believe this now so much anymore, although I'm pretty sure I do and I'm just not being honest with myself because this is the show, that I really thought that even though despite that I started working out and I got into better shape, that it actually never sort of compensated for my flaws. So initially my thinking was like, no matter what, or rather not no matter what my thinking was that if i kind of worked out hard enough or if i sort of developed a particular figure or physique that eventually like the flaws won't be that obvious or whatever that prominent but somewhere down the line a couple of years later after i was obsessively working out i don't do so much of that anymore but after i was like obsessively working out and i kind of got into i guess almost close to the shape that i wanted to be it was like the flaws in my mind were still pretty prominent and i was like shit man no matter what i do it's never gonna make this go away it's like i could sort of compensate in all of these other areas whether with intelligence sort of being articulate right with working out but it's like it never actually eliminates any of these things so for me i was like what is even like the point of it and there was a point in my life where i really got down about it where i figured like what's why even bother like it's never gonna make any of these things disappear so, um, and this doesn't even have a happy ending. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm still at, <laughs> where I'm like, I'm still doing all of these things, but I'm like, I don't really even know why. So I guess in my mind, perfection is still the goal. So even if I deny it and I could tell you sort of rationally that, yeah, obviously I get it. It's stupid. It's never going to happen. But somewhere in the back of my mind, every time I go to the gym, I'm like, oh my God, why am I doing this? It's not going to really do much for me. You know, just for fun. Mm -hmm. I know this is a perfectionism episode, mm -hmm. but like, um, I mean, uh, I was actually talking to a friend earlier about this today, too. Mm -hmm. uh, she was talking about going back to, like, working out. Not necessarily going to the gym, but just working out. Mm -hmm. And she, she was talking about her reasons for doing it. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, like, yeah, I, uh, I, this is not a joke, but it's going to sound like it. Like, oh, you know, I, I was just working out before just because I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, that's I was like, okay, that makes sense. Sure. Survival sure. is a good reason. But she's, like, really yeah. young, right? Yeah. And, like, technically that kind of reason or that purpose yeah. isn't so compelling mm -hmm. which is why she's talking about it oh and i didn't mention this she was saying she's having like issues with um with actually executing on uh doing some of these things that she wants to do mm -hmm. and and I, I think it's because you, you need to have a compelling reason or a compelling uh purpose mm -hmm. and so like for um yeah, so that was very interesting because when I told her that, mm -hmm. she started thinking like uh, about that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, just for fun, a little bit later, write down what it is you really want to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe later in life, doesn't necessarily be now. Mm -hmm. And what are all the little things you have to do to accomplish that? Mm -hmm. So, and then I, as, a, as for fun, I, I, I tried to frame like her working out, not necessarily just to avoid death, but what if, for example, when you work out, you feel less stressed. Mm -hmm. You had some kind of release, right? <laughs> yeah, I hit the mic. Anyway, uh, so uh, you have some kind of release. And then because of that release, mm -hmm. there's less stress. Yeah. And because of less stress, whatever situation you go into, you'll bring in a better quality of energy. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps when you're trying to accomplish that bigger thing that you're trying to do, that's one of the little things that actually contributes to that bigger goal. Mm -hmm. And then you view that little thing in a new light. And then you actually are more compelled to do it. Mm -hmm. So that was just to kind of try to steer that in a happy. <laughs> what do you think she's going to do? Uh, I think she's going to definitely think about it. I also sent her uh, Alan Watts uh, video ah. about the what if money was no object. I gotcha. Like what would, what's like she really want to do. Mm -hmm. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Because sometimes, sometimes you can say something. They'll listen to you. Your friend's going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. You're your friend. Yeah. Right. But then 
at the same time, sometimes you want to give them uh, some kind of exemplary role model who said something like really mm-hmm. epic or profound. Yeah. And then, then they're like, whoa, mm-hmm. yes, yes, I can really get with that. And then they resonate with them and then they actually listen and do the thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask both of you guys. So I guess at this point, I mean, I'm... Obviously, nobody, I think, not, neither one of us, neither one of us three has kind of found, a, I guess, a method to completely overcome this. But I wonder for, for both of you, Liz and Alan, what's helped you guys overcome perfectionism to the extent that you have? Like, what sort of strategies do you use for yourself when you feel like, oh, I need to be perfect? Do you, do you want Liz to go first? Or it's up to you. Liz, what do you prefer? You or Alan? Alan, you go first. Yeah, okay. okay. So, for me, mm-hmm. um, I try to think of, uh, I like to do this thing where I think of, multiple perspectives anytime I can take into consideration like say I have like an uh, a thought uh, like something related to um, perfectionism this is wow it's getting really general okay so say for example um, I want to go to uh, the let's say the gym right and um, but you know what actually I already went like several days during the week I, maybe there's something else I'd like to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know what? I could not go today, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, when I have that thought, the intrusive thought that comes in immediately is, no, go to the gym, mm-hmm. right? To keep, keep, you know, keep that perfect thing going where you're going, you could probably make time for this other thing, all that. Yep. When that comes in, uh, something like that, I'll take into consideration a whole bunch of like floating possibilities mm-hmm. like different perspectives that I can think about it mm-hmm. uh, I, I think of one where what happens if I do go oh it would actually be good uh, maybe I'd uh, feel better after I did it mm-hmm. and maybe it won't take as long as I really think it's gonna take all that that's one perspective mm-hmm. another is hey man you went the whole week already you know what let your body rest anyway maybe you can think about it from a different perspective like you should just rest mm-hmm. right uh, then another perspective where it's like, there's this other thing you should be doing, all that. Um, long story short, though, in general, mm-hmm. I try to think of multiple different perspectives anytime I have that um, urge to feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing mm-hmm. in order to fully get a grasp on the situation. Because maybe that first impression I have mm-hmm. is not correct. Mm-hmm. I always think that the first one is not always correct right away mm-hmm. um, so you kind of have like a Socratic dialogue with yourself pretty much that's cool but mm-hmm. sometimes it's also it works in two th- ways for me mm-hmm. one way I'll actually step back and think about it if I'm like let's say at home I'm considering something mm-hmm. but if th- sometimes I could do it in a snap like sort of judgment as well mm-hmm. it actually doesn't take that much time mm-hmm. I'll uh, immediately encounter that intrusive uh, perfectionist thought let's say Mm -hmm. and then immediately think that can't be right there's a million different perspectives I can take on this Mm -hmm. without even taking those perspectives and then instantly it shuts down the intrusiveness of that thought that's really cool wow it's a good method Liz how about you well I try to remind myself that the grief and the stress that I experience by not being perfect is Mm self-imposed and I don't expect others to be inauthentic with their perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And so I try to extend that same kind of courtesy to myself Mm -hmm. when things get overwhelming Mm -hmm. and I'm down on myself and hard on myself. 
it's hmm? I'm sorry. No, I was going to ask what some of the self talk that you use. You did the best that you could today, mm-hmm. and you'll get more experience and you'll do more things tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's a very Rome wasn't built in a day kind of mentality, and I don't expect the world from other people. Mm-hmm. And I know that everyone has their flaws and their quirks and their mistakes. And everyone essentially just tries the best they can with what's given to them. And I'm thinking, if I, can ex- if I can give that pass to other people, what makes me so different that I can't give it to myself? Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Very empathic. That's like a mic drop statement. Yes, self-empathy. Mm-hmm. And you know what I also find to be really helpful? Because, like, well, I love philosophy. And I just obviously love kind of thought experiments. I actually, like pretty much when my clients struggle with perfectionism, I go through the thought experiment of, you know what, let's imagine life if you were perfect. And sort of they kind of first imagine themselves as being perfect with others. I'm like, no, 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 you're perfect. Nobody else is perfect around you. What happens? Like what happens in life? Let's say you have all of the things you want. You're like the most beautiful person. You have the perfect height, the perfect weight. You're the smartest person in the world. One of the most, if not the most successful. Let's say I'll even throw in compassion, even though technically being perfect in terms of like um, physical appearance or any kind of exterior qualities is a link to compassion at least for the most part i'm like whatever we'll even throw that in there you're perfect inner and out yeah yeah like let's say you have it all right what would your life be like and most of the time if not all of the time they realize like holy shit life is terrible that way i'm like yes exactly so they kind of go through it and they realize that people don't want to be around them because they're pretty much jealous and obviously that's kind of what it is to be a human being it's a part of it they're envious of them and then on top of that they're intimidated by them so it's like for people and this goes back to Meg's research on relationships. Uh, Meg Van Dusen, who was a guest of ours a few weeks ago. So she pretty much said that kind of intimacy and authenticity in relationships are the things that make us happy. So you'd be missing that if you were perfect. Not many people are going to open up to you and share your, their flaws with you if they think that you're perfect. If they even are willing to be in any sort of relationship with you, it's only because you can do something for them. And in the way that that's not going to be... Um, and it's going to be sort of, I guess, non-expressive, for lack of a better term, where they're going to sort of hide their flaws from you because they're not going to want to feel or they're not going to want you to judge them. And even, let's say, if you are super compassionate, and if you're, like, let's say, known to be incredibly empathic, again, even though it's very unlikely if you're perfect, the chances are that the other person is not going to really see it that way. That even if, let's say, hypothetically, they don't think that you're going to judge them, they're still going to feel insecure and inferior to, to, to you, knowing that sort of inside and outside you're perfect. And they're not going to want to expose that because they're not going to want to admit that to themselves. So a lot of times when we think of perfection, it's sort of like when we think of immortality. We think that we want immortality without actually thinking of what that entails so it's like a lot of the times you sort of go on through life avoiding death because we're like no i want to live forever but if you were to actually ask somebody to sit down and think about what living forever entails nine times out of ten i don't think they'd want to and i think it's the same thing with being perfect i don't think we'd actually want it if we knew what it meant yeah there's something very beautiful about being imperfect Mm -hmm. uh there's there's this concept in japanese called Mm wabi-sabi And it's like when, uh, like a bowl, like chips or cracks Mm -hmm. and there's something beautiful in those kind of imperfections in the object Mm -hmm. and that can extend toward other people as well. And that number one word is authentic, authenticity. That's really cool. I really like that concept. Also, um, perfection has a sort of this, uh, tinge of finality to it. Mm -hmm. And that's not like who we are. That's where true. it's it's like 
we're basically we're verbs. We're these things that are in constant action, mm -hmm. constant change, um, and perfection doesn't imply that. Mm -hmm. Perfection implies some sort of a final result mm -hmm. in a way I, I tend to think of it that way at least i, yeah. I don't know how you think about it no I, I love that yeah so you're pretty much saying that we are a process of development yeah mm -hmm. and then to adhere to any sort of notion of perfection mm -hmm. I, like if again if it's done in a healthy way mm -hmm. like you're, you know you're taking uh, an, a bow and arrow and you're shooting towards perfection mm -hmm. and you're trying to just kind of um you know, up your game in many different ways, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's respectable. That's fine. But in general, the toxic version of it, of trying to adhere to perfection, it's not naturally who we are. It feels like it's almost like a like a mental trick, mm -hmm. uh, a trick of the mind, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. so according to the author, since I want to kind of piggyback on that, she wrote, striving for perfection isn't the same as being competitive or aiming for excellence, which can be healthy things. Which, what makes perfectionism toxic is that you're holding yourself to an impossible standard that can never be achieved, essentially setting yourself up for per perpetual failure. So pretty much what I think you were saying was that it's okay to sort of aim for that, but to accept that you're not going to always experience it. That you might be the best sometimes, you're not going to be the best all the time. You might, let's say, get an A, or let's say if you're looking for an A+, plus or the perfect score on an exam, you're going to probably get it some of the time, absolutely, especially if you're a hard worker and you're smart. So, um, but the point is that you're not going to get that all the time. So I think that a lot of times what happens with perfectionism is people don't take into consideration their circumstances. So it's like, here I am as pure free will, and if I just want something bad enough, I'm supposed to be able to get it. Or if I'm smart enough, I'm supposed to be able to get it. Or if I'm beautiful enough, I'm supposed to be able to get it. So like an example that comes to mind is like, let's say somebody... Somebody says to themselves, well, here I'm taking this class. And so let's say I got an A in the class, but I'm actually still unhappy with it. And so maybe the professor would ask why. And so the student might say, well, because you know what? It took me a really long time to sort of understand the concepts and the material. And, you know, I just, I didn't grasp it as like quickly and as, you know, fully as I wanted to. And the professor says, yeah, but like, you know, you, you did really well. And you were like, you know, sort of in terms of your grade, you were one of the highest performing students. And so the student says, yeah, but you know what? If I was really smart, like if I was really, really smart, right? Not like this sort of facade of intelligence. If I was really smart, I would have understood all of those concepts quickly. It would have just sort of clicked, right? So a lot of times when we're sort of thinking or we're in that state of perfectionism, we don't really take into consideration the circumstances or as sort of the existentialists would say the facticities of our lives. So what it means to be a human being is, so there are very few people, first of all, and let me not say that this was wrong. Um, so it depends, first of all, on the field that you're in, and there are very few people, even as experts in the field, who are able just to grasp all of the sort of complex concepts quickly, right? So even like me, let's say as a therapist, I struggle reading the material. There's like, there's a psychologist named Otto Kernberg. I can't fucking understand that dude, and I do this for a living. I am a quote-unquote expert in this field. And so the thing is, sometimes we set ourselves to the standard of if I'm actually smart, then I'm supposed to grasp everything that sort of I'm, you know, kind of an expert in quickly. And it doesn't really work that way because the thing is, there's so many confounding variables. First of all, it takes a long time for us in terms of what our brains are like, even if you have a high IQ to understand complexity. It sort of it depends on the sort of articulateness 
that's even a word, and how articulate essentially the author is in terms of the material that you're reading, how clear they are in their writing. So it depends on pretty much the other like variables in your life, right? Like how stressed are you? How depressed are you? Um, how many classes are you taking that semester, right? How tired are you the majority of the time? So sometimes people think there's this one-to-one -one correlation between IQ and sort of quickly grasping material that you're learning, and it's not that simple. And so a lot of times what I find is that this was essentially the case for me, I mentioned this before that I was like super judgmental once upon a time with people and it was because I was seeing things very simplistically. From my mind it was like, yeah, like why can't you just do that thing? I don't get it. It's so easy. But it's like if you took it from the other person's perspective, they're like, no, but I have like all of these other things going on. The reason why I wasn't able to do that is because like let's say I'm in a depressive episode, like work is really stressful, um, I've been really tired, etc. So the idea is a lot of times when we're not empathic to ourselves or for other people, it's because we're also looking for simple answers. It's like we're saying to ourselves that if this is really true, it's like, oh, that idea of love, right? If this person really loves me, then they'll just fight through all of their psychological issues to sort of get me, right? It's like um, that Joe Rogan and Nikki Glaser episode where pretty much Nikki Glaser's like, yeah, you know, like these guys broke up with me because like um, they told me they were afraid of being vulnerable. And Joe Rogan kind of from this sort of idealistic mindset was like, oh no, that's probably bullshit. He's like, if they really loved you, they would have fought for you. And I'm like, dude, like you're such a smart guy. Like that's your interpretation. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. Somebody who struggles with vulnerability can't just automatically fight for somebody because they're in love with them you can be both it's not that black and white it's like you can be in love with someone and because you're afraid of being rejected you're afraid of sort of putting yourself out there and not being kind of like um, let's say seen or accepted for lack of a better term for who you are that it could be that a person is in love with you but is really terrified of being in that state with you in that place so the idea is that we really have to accept that things aren't so black and white that we don't have these simple answers to really sort of complex scenarios and really sort of nuanced scenarios so just really quickly going back to that idea of like if I'm really smart right that means I should have grasped this material quickly most of the time no matter where you are an expert in that it's depending again on the complexity of the material even experts in particular fields don't necessarily grasp the material they're reading quickly right that's why I mentioned like my situation with reading Otto Kernberg like I understand like the terms that he uses but for me he's an incredibly difficult writer and it could be a combination it could be that a he's not clear because he tries to be overly complex and then b my mind just can't fully grasp what he's saying and that's that's cool but the point is that it's not as simple as oh if I were smart I would have understood him I guess I'm an idiot yeah I mean, it, it could be just a matter of um, resonating with his style of writing, mm -hmm. right? It could be as simple as something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, potentially, no. you got to leave room for other explanations. Yep. But just even just considering that, it's it, it could be that you interpreted another piece of writing that someone else thinks is incredibly difficult, mm -hmm. but you interpreted it very well. That's true. So there's yeah. that possibility, too. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, yeah. what do you think? When you mentioned not everything is black and white, I'm really glad you said that. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that we all have to be mindful of is that every single thing is a shade of gray. Mm -hmm. And with that knowledge, we can be a lot more compassionate to ourselves and to other people. Mm -hmm. And to just give everyone in general like a lot more slack yeah. with what we're trying to do and our own vulnerabilities and our own struggles. And uh, this kind of message really needs to be repeated because now we're going through this kind of perfectionism epidemic, I guess I can call it. I'm glad uh, you said that. Because 
like there have been studies that said like since the 80s yes this need and perfectionism has skyrocketed and it's really it's really hitting millennials it's hitting and it's hitting gen z and you know now you're having these uh record numbers of anxiety and and depression disorders from these people from these young people who think that they're not good enough Mm -hmm. and things aren't going to improve unless they hit this impossibly high standard and um, I was also reading that they somehow also connected this idea of perfectionism to the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, people are just like, oh, like, this hurts or I'm getting older and this hurts and that hurts and I need medication to make myself feel better and perfect again. Mm-hmm. And then you have a lot of these people, like, getting addicted in this kind of pursuit of feeling like they once did. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And a lot of these doctors are enabling it. And, you know, young people have to understand that no, you can't achieve everything 100%. You just have to try your best. And then, you know, older people who want this medication to feel better have to understand that getting older is a part of life. Yes. And you, uh, no, you're not going to feel the same way as you did in your 20s. And you won't be able to, you know, rake the whole yard in an hour like you used to. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Yep. Absolutely. And then, so just to piggyback off of what you said, this is something that we wanted to focus on too, the actual research on perfectionism. So in this article she writes, so she writes, Kern and his colleague Andrew Hill gathered data from more than 40,000 college students who had taken a psychological measure of perfectionism between 1989 and 2016. In 1989, about 9% of respondents posted high scores on socially prescribed perfectionism, but by the end of that study, they had doubled to about 18%. On average, she says, um, young people are more perfectionistic than they used to be, and the belief that other people expect you to be perfect has increased the most. So she writes, the rise in perfectionism is especially troubling because it has been linked to an array of mental health issues. A meta-analysis of 284 studies found that high levels of perfectionism were correlated with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, deliberate self-harm, obsessive compulsive disorder. So the constant stress of striving to be perfect can also leave people fatigued, stress, and suffering from headaches and insomnia. Crazy stuff, man. Just really, really wild statistics. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that it's increased. Mm-hmm. And most likely, yeah, due to social media. Yeah. Most likely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these um, idols or, <laughs> or people who are models of perfection. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're more on our phones than, well, that's a fairly new thing, but the fact that we're on our phones a lot of the time, mm-hmm. I mean, and we're interacting less, and then kind of this is the things that we're looking at and trying to adhere to, mm-hmm. you could see how... That's kind of a you know a blur a glaring uh, issue yeah. that needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And so I mean, the way I kind of and obviously I want to hear what you guys think too. The way I kind of view social media is, I mean, I guess no, that's I was going to say with celebrities, maybe not for them, but I think for everybody, I think we all feel this pressure to sort of put our best selves forward in terms of social media. So it's really really hard to sort of you know I first of all I'm against shaming anybody for trying to look perfect on social media because I get it they don't want to be left out and they want to feel like they're kind of along with everybody else and the thing is like when it comes to social media and this is something that we talked about I think it was two weeks ago with Meg where I talked about that client of mine who was a trendsetter and so like for this kid like it's so amazing because he's super unique and he kind of puts himself out there where it's like on the one hand he's afraid of being judged and he's afraid of being rejected but then on the other hand he's like you know what it's actually more important for me to be myself and so what was so cool about him is when he was in college well he still is in college but like when he first started well actually when he was in high school so there were people who came out and said to him they're like you know what because you were able to be who you were 
I was able to come out as transgender or I was able to come out as gay. And so because for them, they felt like here's this kid who's sort of leading the way. And if it's okay for him, then that means it must be okay for us. So as difficult as it is for us to kind of, um, I guess, come over or sort of, uh, let's say, cross that boundary. I think it's really necessary for us, especially obviously in doing this podcast, which I'm so happy that we are doing, is that we have to have more people who are putting themselves out there authentically. And to say that, like, look, we should really reward these people because it's really, really fucking hard to do that. So, like, with yeah. that kid, I was incredibly proud of him. I was like, that's so amazing that you were able to do that. Because he was like, on the one hand, I'm so afraid of rejection, but then it's not enough for me to sort of stifle my, my inner sort of... Um, I guess my inner self, my real self, you know, who he was authentically. And so I think for a lot of us that little by little, step by step, that sort of more people need to become leaders in this way, where they would sort of put more of, I guess, their, I don't know, I guess, what's the term? I don't want to say indecent, but more of their, like, um, I guess, flaws out on display and to say that it's okay for me to be this way and it's okay for you to be this way. It's like, and this, um, and I think this is based on the quote, sort of, I guess, an axiom that we have in therapy, which says that self-disclosure begets self-disclosure. Pretty much meaning that whenever you express or whenever you expose your flaws and vulnerabilities, other people are able to do the same because it's like, oh shit, wow, you're flawed and I'm flawed and we can be flawed together. Yeah, it's like you're giving permission. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and social media is like the toughest one, man, because like that one is, it's like its own sort of monster. It's incredibly hard to change. I don't think we're mentally evolved enough to kind of handle what social media has handed us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this uh, before when I was on here, but if we're going to discuss influencers, mm-hmm. uh, there was this issue of this Chinese influencer on Weibo, and she looked, you know, perfect and glamorous. Mm-hmm. And then... Oh, yeah. I know this one. She... Her landlord... Uh, she wasn't, like, paying her rent, and she trashed the place, and the landlord took a bunch of pictures of her, like, apartment. There was, like, trash everywhere, and it looked like a pigsty, and he uploaded it. Yeah. And you see that comparison of what she actually lived in mm-hmm. and this image that she represented. Yeah. And, yeah, there's also a, a, a really a, a subreddit called Instagramming, uh, Instagramming Reality, mm-hmm. and some of it is a little mean-spirited, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really shows how people kind of alter their surroundings and their bodies to put up this kind of front. Yep. And it keeps you grounded. It's, you know, I try not to look at influencers too much. I just mostly look at like mm-hmm. memes and toy photography. But yeah, I mean, if you if you do have all of that in your feet and you're always looking, it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. And young kids don't even have that much experience behind them where they can kind of differentiate between the two. And I mean, the interesting thing about influencers is, um, influencers, I guess, is, uh, crap, now I lost the thought. Actually, I have, a, I have something I want sure, to say. Sure. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I think that, um, a lot of things on the internet mm-hmm. can be distracting, mm-hmm. right? Or are not the best influences for you, mm-hmm. right? But one thing that is interesting is that although we have a lot of bad things that came along with social media and, uh, in general, like uh, the 24-hour news cycle and the fact that you have access instead of like what it used to be where it was like from the morning until the evening is when you'd hear the news mm-hmm. and to now it's all the time. It's like negative, all that, blah, blah, right. blah. Okay, but um, I think a lot of really good material became available as well mm-hmm. 
that I can't turn my head away from because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I would not have learned mm -hmm. if I didn't have access to the internet. Yeah, most definitely. And there, there were things that I found for free, like once upon a time, like books, like on t topics that like they were never talking about in school. Mm -hmm. Like there was this thing. Uh, like Secrets of Bohemian Grove? Close. Uh, <laughs> something called neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. Right? Uh, uh, different books on psychology in general. Things mm -hmm. that I just wasn't exposed to right. that I kind of found, mm -hmm. right? And I understand it's a very niche thing. And, of course, it's catered to my interests at the time. Mm -hmm. So not everyone's looking for that kind of stuff or something else that's good. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that since we're still kind of early in our like getting used to this new way of doing things, mm -hmm. I think there is going to come a time when we do get used to it and find some sort of equilibrium. But right now, it's definitely very chaotic. Mm -hmm. You'd have to be so on point and so focused about what influences or uh, pages or memes or whatever that you're, or shows that you're paying attention to in order to design how you want your life to be. Yeah. Otherwise, if you, felt, if you fall into the automaticity of everything, Ooh, it's... Good word. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, it's so chaotic that the are the consequences of that are so like arbitrary that it, it feels bad be, that you can have like as a consequence negative effects on people's lives mm -hmm. and just automatically mm -hmm. because they're not not uh, as yet not everyone is making a conscious decision like okay I'm gonna use the internet for this much amount of time a day, or I'm gonna look at this kind of source as opposed to this, mm -hmm. or that. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, what you're doing, and you said that you're looking for information. Um, you're using the internet and what it provides. You're using it as a tool, instead of just mindlessly scrolling. And as long as you're mindful about using this as a tool, mm -hmm. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, so that one of the guests that we almost talked about before from like uh, two weeks ago, Meg Van Dusen, mm -hmm. uh, her book is actually has to do with like uh, being mindful about, uh, well, not just the internet, but just since we're talking about that, mm -hmm. like using mindfulness when, uh, when you're on social media or how often you use technology. And um, it kind of became apparent like by the end of that conversation with her that it, it's almost mandatory that mindfulness or some sort of level of focus or critical thinking needs to be taught it's not even like just like some leisurely thing like hey let's hey guys there's this thing called meditation you know mm -hmm. all that it almost feels like it's becoming really necessary with the amount of stimuli we right. have pulling at our attention mm -hmm. unless you learn to uh, focus and choose what it is that you're going to look at even though even that even the amount of choice you have is still limited because we're still kind of kind of like sponges in a way mm -hmm. and still do kind of uh, act you know based of off of our own you know uh, internal reactions to things mm -hmm. like we're not per even if you get it down like yeah. meditation you're not going to be perfect at it yeah. but I feel like yeah it's becoming mandatory to learn things like that if not meditation just some sort of form of focus
influencers. Yeah. And I remembered now what I wanted to say about the influencers. So um, in terms of like most people, whatever, maybe not most, but a lot of people being jealous of them. I think that, and like, look, again, this is obviously really hard, obviously, because, you know, kind of we're seeing these people who kind of put themselves out there in such a way as to show that they're better than everybody else. I think we also have to understand, like, for the people who do know about what their lives are really like, is that a lot of these people are super lonely. Um, a lot of them are perfectionists themselves, which is why they sort of curate their Instagrams the way they do. A lot of them don't really have kind of authentic relationships, the loneliness part. And so I think a lot of the times, or at least the hope is that somebody from the outside can kind of sort of, you know, reach out to them and say like, hey, you know, like you don't need to be this thing to gain attention or affection. Like you could just be yourself. And so sometimes influencers, when they are willing to be vulnerable to whatever extent, you know, that's possible for them. Well, I mean, it is possible for them, but I guess to the, whatever extent that they want to. So they pretty much are kind of honest and say, so. well, they say things, they sort of put their vulnerabilities out in like a positive way. So one thing I've seen is that like, there was this really attractive influencer and she wrote like, I am like my own best friend or I am like my, like my own soulmate or something like that. And my thought was not like, oh wow, like she's this really great and confident person. It was like, no, she must be incredibly lonely. Like that's her idea of like happiness of being one's own soulmate. So I think when it comes to influencers that like for us, and don't get me wrong, I understand how hard this is because a lot of times for a lot of people, perception is reality and it's very easy to judge and hate them because they're sort of presenting an image of themselves that makes it appear that they're better than everybody else. But I would hope that somewhere along the lines that somebody can sort of say, look, you know what? I understand why you're doing this and you don't have to do it. You don't have to present a perfect picture of yourself because it's okay for you to be flawed. And we'd actually prefer that. <laughs> I really like that. Thank you. So it would actually be better if we were to... Wow. <coughs> so it would be... This is my flaw. So... <coughs> wow. It's okay. I'm usually the call for... Yeah, now I'm like... This is a nice change of pace. <laughs> so yeah, my final thought on that is that if somebody sort of presents or somebody's able to be vulnerable enough to say like, look, you know, it really upsets me that you know pretty much i'm jealous of you or that i feel like you know in some important ways you're better than me i also sort of understand that you're suffering and i, I want to sort of know you for who you actually are and i want you to know that you don't have to be this person that you pretend to be yeah definitely um that's awesome thank you <laughs> yeah and uh and again also some influencers are you know some of them are actually not bad i'll say mm -hmm. It, it, it's you know uh, I hate to be that guy because your the your point is is a salient point you're just you're pretty much saying like we're 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 already making our point that uh, we're trying to uh, you know copy these people who are trying to look perfect yes right mm -hmm. that's the main point mm -hmm. but I do want to say that everyone's trying to be perfect some of them are good because they're authentic yes and that's why they have so many people following them yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's just so many things are going on that it's out of hand and and it creates problems yeah. like like what you just described. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen the movie Can't Buy Me Love? It's like from 1987 with Mick Dreamy. No. Oh, okay. I saw Love Don't Cost a Thing. <laughs> Wait, it, oh shit, that's actually the, oh wow, that's actually the remake of Can't Buy Me Love. Wow. Did you know that? Nope. Oh wow. That, Magic. Oh, wow, that Magic. is synchronicity right there. So yeah, Love Don't Cost the Thing is actually the remake of Can't Buy Me Love. Wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. So actually the film is pretty much the same storyline, but obviously in a different time. So Can't Buy Me Love, like so it's so Amanda Peterson, like the girl who plays the like, you know, the love interest of the film, to me is like the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen, like ever. I was like, oh my god, I was like in love with her for ages. And so in the movie, like so he's like this nerdy guy, right? 
who like tries to win her over pretty much Nick Cannon's character. So he's like, hey, you know, like, how about we make a deal? You help me be popular and, you know, pretty much I'll, I'll pay, I think he paid her for it or like he gave her some sort of, I don't even remember what it was. Like, In the Love Don't Cost a Thing thing, yeah. he did. He paid her, right? Yeah. So it was the same if thing. Yeah, 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 it was Can't Buy Me Love too, right? So he ended up paying her for it. I don't remember what she needed the money for, but she was like, whatever. So she made the deal with him. So in the film, as he gets to know her and, you know, like she's just like wildly popular, attractive girl, he kind of gets to know her for who she is. And so so she finally tells him somewhere in the movie, she's like, you like have no idea how hard popularity is. She's like, you kind of sit there from the outside and you judge me thinking that my life is so much better than yours and that I look down on you and that's all I am. And then she's like, from my end of the spectrum, she's like, I don't really have anybody who knows me. I pretty much have to maintain a facade 24 seven. I have to be entertaining. I have to be perfect, right? I have to sort of look a certain way. And then she's like, whenever I don't, I get harshly criticized for it because I'm always in the spotlight. So from her end, she's like, you have no idea how hard this is to like really only have sort of these shallow friendships that are pretty much based on status. And so he kind of got this, uh, I guess, more in-depth picture or more genuine picture of who he was. And somewhere he was like, wow, like, holy shit, I had this really sort of, I guess, half-hearted perception of who you were. And I thought that was really cool because it pretty much got to, we got to see that there's no such thing as like an influencer in the sense of like this perfect person who appears or who is the way that they appear. That even sort of popular people or even celebrities or whoever it is, like they also have their own struggles too. And a lot of the times the major struggle is that they can't be themselves. I think it was like Lady Gaga who recently posted a tweet where she said like fame is a prison. And that's pretty much what it is for a lot of these people. And Tupac talked about it for ages, right? Stuck in this game searching for fortune and fame, right? So it's like for them, they feel like all they are are their images. And it's like they can't really... And Napoleon said that, right? He couldn't be himself. Yeah. It's lonely being at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not being who you are at the top. Not being able to be authentic with, you know, being at the top. And yeah, yeah. and that's, that's um, yet another problem with uh, perfectionism. The, the only people that'll see someone like a Lady Gaga mm -hmm. for who she is mm -hmm. is probably just a few people yes. like her. in her friend circle that... Her mom. Her yeah. mom. Like, for sure. Mm -hmm. Actually, her mom, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, so then the question is, even if they're loved right, by all of these different fans, like what are they loved for? What do they really know about them? So it's like they know their music, which is a lot of the times not that vulnerable, depending on obviously who the person is. And so like, yeah, they like her pop tracks, but that's great. And so what's going to happen like when she passes away? Like are people going to be like, oh, wow, no, I really loved Stephanie for like who she was and like all these great characteristics. Or they're just going to say, I really love that Lady Gaga song. Like it really sort of affected me in some way. Well, that's that's how she's going to make a mark, mm -hmm. right? But her people close to her will be the yeah. ones who most definitely. I do think what's worth mentioning is that this, uh, like, there is this trend that's been going on in TV for years, like with Breaking Bad and Mad Men and everything, where you have these flawed antiheroes mm -hmm. that, you know, have a lot of issues they need to work on, and that kind of because in the past we'd always deal with a hero who is who is perfect and flawless, mm -hmm. like Superman. Yes, but uh, this trend of now all these all these leads and characters. Oh, like, uh, The Good Place? I love The Good Place. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. Mm -hmm. And I, we're, I think we're all, because of this television trend, we're all kind of intrinsically yearning to root for somebody who has problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that reminds me of the episode that we had with Mark White. 
So Liz, we had um, so Mark White is like a, so he's a philosophy professor who pretty much he writes like um, I, have you ever seen that series where it's like it's called the philosophy and pop culture series? So they write books like Black Mirror and philosophy, um, or Simpsons ba- and philosophy. Yeah, Simpsons and philosophy, Batman and ethics, etc. So we had him on. That's talk awesome. About Bat- Batman and ethics. yeah, so so he pretty much he like loves superheroes, and so he told us that his favorite superhero was the Thing. And what he's like, what I love about the thing is because like he was like this like ordinary, well, strong, very strong dude, but also very ordinary dude who was obviously seemingly and like, you know, kind of um, what's the word prominently, like evidently flawed. And so the cool thing about him was that despite the fact that he was this incredibly flawed person, that he was able to overcome that and still become a good person. That for him, it was more important to let's say be a good person and obviously do good things for the world than it was for him to like let's say retaliate because people made fun of him and sort of you know emotionally abused him yeah Mm -hmm. oh wow okay yeah yeah i was like wow the thing what a character yeah so that that's the thing like uh that's the thing Mm -hmm. yeah for him he had a well a fictional character of course but he had a had a purpose that was stronger than you know the the pettiness of like reacting to what people think of you and stuff. He, he found out what really mattered. Yes. Which is incredibly hard. Whereas like for somebody like Superman, I mean, he was already perfect. So it's like when you're already perfect, it's not that hard to be a good person. And Superman technically wasn't, he, he was in a way, mm-hmm. but also he, he was basically everything about him was perfect except internally. Why? Uh, he, he also had issues with his like emotions, for okay. example. As far as that goes. Mm -hmm. So he actually was outwardly uh, the strongest, most invincible character. Mm -hmm. And on many times, many, many occasions, he is like the epitome of morals too. (laughs) But there were times in like certain storylines where he'd struggle with um, either relationships or uh, anger issues. Or like he would help people. He knows like things he was doing weren't helping people were like still... um, like really uh, reactive and thinking like that what they're doing is not enough, mm-hmm. like the heroes, and uh, he'd get pissed off about that. Mm. Uh, he'd have issues with his uh, family, it, like stuff, yeah. So normal stuff. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, wow. Mm. All right, guys, are you about ready to wrap up? Sure. All right, so Liz, um, if let's say, what would your final thoughts be if we were to ask, like, what sort of ideas would you have for people who are struggling for perfectionism? What do you think would be the most helpful for them? Um, I would say start out small. Mm-hmm. So instead of feeling that you have to reach this pinnacle, just remember that it's a journey. And if you only get a couple of things done or improve in a slight way, mm-hmm. you did great. Mm-hmm. And give yourself time. I love that. And and just the fact that nobody is perfect should be a very comforting thought. And you put a lot more pressure on yourself than other people would put pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Love that. How about you? Putting me on the spot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say that it's important to, to if, if, for example, in the case of if you think that you need to have... Um, conditions certain conditions to be perfect before you can uh, take action like in my case mm-hmm. right where I needed to have enough knowledge I needed to have uh, need to speak a certain way or something along, along those lines mm-hmm. if you're gonna you can't let something like that stop you mm-hmm. you need to and I like what Liz said with like start small mm-hmm. you need to 
move in the direction of what it is that you really want to do and don't let perfectionism stop you. Mm -hmm. Even even if you can't accomplish, um, even if you don't even know what to do, start out small. Yeah. Uh, try, to, try to, oh, this is great. So here's the thing, a lot of people uh, won't act on something unless they're, uh, it's in line with their, like they feel passionate about it. Mm -hmm. There's a big thing that go, this is, I'm gonna be quick about it. This could be a conversation for next time. Okay. But uh, there's this thing where, uh, that's going around where, oh, uh, everyone should do something they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Like the whole nine to five workday thing, mm -hmm. there's this uh, narrative that's being pushed out like, you should do what you love, mm -hmm. right? And I'm in full agreement with that. Mm -hmm. I will not disagree with that, right? Mm -hmm. However, because of that, somebody can take that kind of a message, mm -hmm misinterpret it and then think well until I feel really really passionate yes. mm -hmm. I won't then uh, do this thing because you need to be this level of passion to do it mm -hmm. and I would say uh, count counterintuitively that's not the case mm -hmm. take action in, in a certain direction even if you don't know what you want to do then say you, you're say it's like um, say there's even a beaten path I, I like the idea of taking the unbeaten path. Mm -hmm. I highly even recommend that. However, if you don't have something that you want to do that's like unique, mm -hmm. or you don't know what you want to do, even just take action along a beaten path till you can. Don't be stalled in uh, indecisiveness and thinking like things need to be perfect and you need to wait till this happens or that happens. Because yeah. th that can cause uh, like cascading effects on your life. And if if you you know act now or as quickly as you can, mm -hmm. uh, build some sort of momentum. You will not waste any time, like uh, like I did, okay. for example. And to jump off of that, I would also say to be careful with black and white thinking. That it's never as simple that if you're one thing, therefore you're supposed to achieve something else. Or rather, if somebody has a particular quality or a particular feeling, therefore something is going to result from it. So don't think of yourself as, or don't think of another person as truly loving you, meaning that they're going to automatically want to date you, or they're automatically going to want to marry you, or be with you, etc. And also try your best not to think of yourself as, let's say, if I were really smart, therefore I should be able to achieve or have all of these sort of, um, or achieve or have all of this success kind of quickly. That everything comes with time no matter how smart you are. And I think an example that we used before, and this probably was a while ago, was with the inventor Nathan Vierhold. So Nathan Vierhold is like one of Bill Gates's like best friends, and he's like, so Bill Gates is like, he's like the smartest person I've ever met, pure genius. And so what this guy said was that he's like, you guys like don't kind of really know what my life is like. He's like, when I actually like go into different fields and I try to learn different things, he's like, sometimes I really feel stupid because I'm confused, I don't understand things. So there are times where like there, it takes me like forever to grasp something. So he's like, as an inventor, in order to be good at what I do I have to be okay with making those mistakes and be okay with sort of falling a few times before I kind of get back up and become successful at whatever it is I'm doing so for us as human beings we have to really accept that there's not a one-to-one -one correlation between particular qualities and particular outcomes that somebody can be sort of in love with you and not want to date you somebody could be really smart and not necessarily grasp a, a complex idea or complex ideas quickly and the point is that it's okay because like we're human beings and we can still have all of these qualities and not be able to achieve certain 
certain things that we want, that it's not black and white. Again, you can be in love and you could not want to be with somebody. You could be really smart and you could not get something. And all of that isn't exactly an indicator of who you are. We have to kind of look at the bigger picture a lot of the times, which people kind of find it hard to do, obviously, because for us, we're kind of immediate in our responses that we see sort of a cause or a potential cause and we're like, okay, here's the outcome. Therefore, this was the only cause. So it's like this person rejected me. Therefore, and therefore that means that automatically he or she doesn't love me we're not sort of seeing the bigger picture of what the relationship is like so i guess that's sort of my biggest um i hope this is the biggest takeaway that black and white thinking is bad and sort of try as best as you can to see the bigger picture and to see the nuance in whatever scenario you find yourself in wonderful thank you i think all you guys did a great job i'm really happy with this episode Same here. all right liz we will see you soon yeah see you soon, <laughs> see you soon. all right and to everyone at home. First, I gotta say, that was pretty good. That, that was, was a nice episode. Do you <laughs> see this new equipment we have here? Uh, we tried to do it with Keith last time, but it didn't quite, quite work out, but happy it worked out this time. We're legit now. That's right. <laughs> so you can look forward to the next episode, episode 33. We'll do it next week. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have Kirk Schneider. Kirk Schneider on. This is gonna be the fantastic. The great and powerful Kirk <laughs> the wizard. To borrow from Logan, you know? <laughs> Um, and yeah, and, uh, you know, follow us at, uh, seize the moment podcast on Facebook and Instagram mm -hmm. and at, uh, seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, and subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. Mm -hmm. See you guys next time. See ya.